0: Hello and welcome to Shame Spiral. I was so excited to spiral out this week with Allegra Castens. Allegra is a licensed clinical therapist, an OCD specialist. She is brilliant and amazing and happens to be hilarious. I have a secret feeling that she could absolutely have been a comedian in an alternate timeline. Allegra is amazing to me because she is such an incisively incredible practitioner and she so boldly shares her experience with OCD on her social media in this way that is truly radical. I think, especially as someone who had OCD my whole life and was only diagnosed well into adulthood and the secret of it all just ate me alive, like, my entire life. The way that she is working to destigmatize OCD and mental health stuff is truly miraculous. So inspiring. I'm so grateful for it. Selfishly for myself and for everyone. You need to go follow Allegra on social media right now on Instagram and TikTok at Allegra Castens. All right, my little shame story for this week. So My monthly queer stand-up show was last week, and we had uh, Sabrina Wu on as our headliner, and they are amazing. I'm a big fan. And during their set, the craziest thing happened, where this cute little queer kid started talking to Sabrina when they were doing some crowd work, and then they just this kid spontaneously got out of their seat and walked up onto the stage. And I feel like we were all in the audience, like what is going on? But then me and my two co-hosts that night, Sharia and Ari, we, we were especially kind of like, okay, this is weird. What do we do? Like, are we supposed to intervene? Meanwhile, Sabrina is like, a consummate professional, and they were totally fine. It wasn't about worrying about Sabrina's capacity to handle it. But here is the shame part for me I started spiraling because this kid had their hands in their pockets in kind of like a bulky jacket, and that horrible mass shooting had just happened in Maine. I am also someone who is inclined to constantly think about the possibility of a mass shooting, which is like crazy. On one level, but also we live in America, so it's not. But I was like, this kid looks so sweet and unassuming. But just the strangeness of the behavior immediately took me to a dark place where I was like, this would be the most unlikely person to commit a mass shooting, which is why it's possible. So I just started spiraling and I went backstage and I was like, what do we do? What do we do? Meanwhile, we were all in hocus pocus costumes for Halloween. So then the three of us in our little witch outfits, were kind of poking our heads out from backstage, like, uh, are you okay? Is there anything you need? And, and then the kid clearly felt weird and like got off the stage. And Sabrina looked at us just kind of like, I'm fine. What the fuck are you guys doing? And so I think I felt ashamed that my actions in part might've made that kid feel shame. Like they had done something horribly wrong. It was weird. I'm not going to lie. Like it's not the norm to get up on stage during someone's set at a comedy show, but it wasn't harmful. Like it wasn't bad. And, and I think I feel worried that I made this kid feel bad and he's like a young queer person. So it just Extra hits. But then I also felt ashamed that I had spiraled about a mass shooting when clearly that is just my anxiety. There was no mass shooting that was going to happen. And then I felt like, oh my God, Sabrina Woo probably thinks I'm insane. Meanwhile, I know that they're probably just not thinking about me at all. So, all in all, wild moment at the show and everything's fine. But on the off chance, that that kid, I don't know who you are, but if you happen to listen to this, you did nothing wrong. I am so sorry that my anxiety led to me projecting my fear of American mass violence onto you. And I, I hope that you are not spiraling about it now. And that's it. That is all I have for today. I am so excited to share this episode with Allegra with you. As always, I am your host, Ellie Kremendahl. And this is the podcast where I low-key use my therapy skills to interview guests about all things shame. So without further ado, let's start spiraling with Allegra Castens. Shame. Burning in my brain. Always in the frame,
1: and I've only myself to blame. Shame, wishing I could forget my name
0: and crawl back up from where I came. I'm going down the spiral once again. Shame, spiral. As soon as we just logged in. I immediately confessed to you that I had been spiraling in various ways this morning. And that's why I was late. So how about you? How are you feeling right now? Knowing we're about to talk about shame? How are you feeling in general today?
1: I feel so much better today because I got 11 hours of sleep, which is so shocking. I was spiraling all night last night. And I was like, I just need to go to bed. I just need to sleep. And I was spiraling about dating and this like, it's a whole situation, but I slept mm-hmm. and it is wild how much a good night's sleep can like change your whole mental health.
0: I know. 11 hours that it was
1: so kind of beautiful. Mm-hmm. It was. <laughs>
0: Sleep is such a good tool. Like I know it can be used dissociatively, mm-hmm. but sometimes when I'm just in in a series of escalating spirals like that, or or I'm just like all day is just kind of off. Like it's just like, not, it's just kind of a wash. Like it's just going to be yeah. a shit day mood wise, brain wise. Sometimes I'll just be like, I think it's time to turn it off. Like yes. I like just need to put an end to this for the no. day. <laughs>
1: I totally relate to that.
0: (laughs) What kind of dating spiral were you having?
1: Okay, so this is going to sound like, I mean, I guess it's not going to sound like anything. But basically, I've gone on two dates with this guy. And I just feel like I don't think that I'm into him romantically. But he's really, really nice. Like, he's absolutely the nicest guy that I've ever been on a date with. Like, our values line up, like on paper, he's perfect. But there's something that I just feel like I'm not attracted to, like romantically, like there, Mm. it feels like we're like two puzzle pieces that are like trying really hard to fit, but we're not. But now in my head, because I feel like so much of what I see online is like, you're just not attracted to the nice guy because you're just into toxic assholes. And like, I don't think that that's the case. I really do think that I am into nice people. I just think that I'm probably not super into this one but now I'm like gaslighting myself into what if like you should just like him and you don't because he's nice and you're just like, you have a pattern of dating losers. And so I, it's like, this it sounds ridiculous, but it's this back and forth. Sorry. My dog is like moving my camera. Okay. It's this back and forth in my mind of like, do I like him? Do I not? And I think I know that I'm, I don't really like him in that way, but because of everything I've seen online, I'm like, maybe I should just give him a chance.
0: Ugh. I know it does not sound, it does not sound silly or stupid or any of those things. It's so relatable. I think probably to so many people, certainly to me, I I feel like through most of my twenties, I was, well, I used to just like expressly date people that I knew were bad for me. And I was like, but I'm so hot for them. And so we're just going to go, go with that. And then there was a point when it shifted, maybe like my late 20s, early 30s. And I was like, no, I'm dating. I'm only seeking out like kind, good people. And then I regularly was not into them. And then I would torture myself. Like, I'm probably just not into them because of my attachment. And because like, I'm not, don't believe I deserve love, but Allegra, like, I feel like I reached a real pivotal moment where I was like, no, like you just do not feel any kind of." energy with those people and it does not mean there's something broken about you okay
1: that's exactly it like i'm like is it like my attachment and my self-sabotaging because of everything that you see online it's like you're just not used to how the nice men treat you and it's like no that might be true to a certain extent but also like i believe there has to be chemistry i have to feel something for you and i think that like the nice person and someone who lines up with your values and there's that like sexual and romantic attraction all of those things can exist. It's not going to be perfect. But if like, I'm kind of like internally cringing when I think about like kissing you, like maybe it's not, but then everyone's like, it can grow. Just like keep going on dates with them. And I'm like, I'm going to lose my fucking mind.
0: Oh my God. Don't listen to those people. (laughs) You have to trust yourself because I, you know what that leads to often is just like hurting, really, really hurting people's feelings Uh because they don't know that you're in it trying to assess if you can at some point not cringe when you think about making out with them. They just think you like them if you're going (laughs) on (laughs) dates with them. Like I once gaslit myself so bad in thinking like I'm just a fucked up person. So I have to keep dating this nice person. And then I like broke their heart so bad. Like by the time I accepted, no, that I just don't like them. I was in deep.
1: See, that's what I worry about, too. And like, he's so wonderful. And he asked me a question, like, how are you dating intentionally? Like, what does that look like for you? And he talked about, like, needing more communication in between dates. And I'm just like, oh, no, <laughs> like, I, don't even, I don't even know if I like you. Like, I feel bad. And I don't think he can actually like me. I think that he likes the fantasy of me, you know, but like, I just like, I feel like I'm gaslighting myself. And I have like all of those voices that are like, it's just your attachment. I don't believe that. I do believe that like when you have met someone that you are genuinely into, you will know. Like for me, if it's not a hell yes, it's like a no.
0: Yeah. Well, here's a question I have for you about because about OCD and shame and all of this, because I know you're an OCD specialist. You're also really open about having OCD. I also have OCD. And with what we were just talking about, which in case it doesn't make the episode, was about sort of spiraling internally, trying to figure out if you can trust feeling like you're not attracted to someone, or if there's just some reason, psychological set of reasons that you're not able to feel attracted to them, how does your OCD and intrusive thoughts really show up in that way? Like when you were spiraling about this last night, was it that kind of spiraling or was it more normal neurotic?
1: spiraling it def so my ocd never shows up in that way which was so interesting it never latches on to like relationships or people or friends in that way it's like always been sexual obsessions and like never relationship specific so last night it definitely had that like ocd i think what's the word like twinge i don't know if that's a word but it was i think it was more so ocd not necessarily like Do Mm -hmm. I like this person? But I think the obsession was more so like, do I not like this person because there's something wrong with me? Kind of thing. Like, that more so is it. And it's like, you're right. What you said about trust is ultimately true for so much of OCD. It comes down to not trusting ourselves, not trusting the world, doubting ourselves. And I think that last night I was really starting to doubt what it was that I was feeling, which is like, I wasn't feeling a lot for this guy.
0: Yeah. That is. So interesting that it doesn't usually show up for you in that way, but then it just kind of did have that flavor last night.
1: Yeah. And I think it's because I like have dated assholes Mm -hmm. and I've taken like quite a break from like dating and sex even to like regroup and like heal some trauma. So I think coming back to it and like meeting a really nice guy, I think there's that like scarcity lens that comes up of like, is this going to be the only nice person? Mm -hmm. And like, then everything that we hear on TikTok and Instagram and whatnot, I feel like that's why it kind of like really latched onto that last night.
0: A hundred percent. Well, and you know how it is with like anxiety and then OCD in particular, it's like, It will latch on to anything. Like it doesn't take a lot. So if there's already something you're obsessing about, even in a quiet way, if you see that like one thing that confirms it on TikTok, it just goes for it. It's off to the races. Relationship OCD is like one of my primary forms of OCD. And I spent so many years with that question, sitting with that question you said a minute ago, like, do I not like this person or is there something (laughs) wrong with me? And like, yeah, like I used to just Google like articles, like, how can you tell you're in love? (laughs) And then I would be like, okay, point one. Do I feel that when I'm with my partner? Do I, do I really like it's torture, torture.
1: It is. And it's so like, what's wild to me is like, I have known what it feels like to be very connected to someone and to be attracted to someone. But then like when OCD enters the equation, it's like, but how do you know that you knew that in the past? And it's like, I just knew it, you know, I just knew that I was,
0: I know like some things just don't fit well in like a pragmatic metric. Like you cannot make a list that fully captures how, you know, you're in love with someone. You just cannot, Mm-hmm. Do you ever find too that being a therapist and like having so much knowledge of our like of attachment and the unconscious mind and like all of this shit is not very helpful
1: <laughs> in this <Yes>. way because <laughs> it, almost hurts. it almost like hurts me. <laughs> yeah.
0: How does it hurt you how How does that go for you. It's
1: like, I think I just know too much about like attachment and my own attachment wounds and like my own trauma that I'm like, is this like my anxious attachment? Is this me just not thinking that I'm deserving? Are they really just wonderful? And I can't see that because da 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 it's like, I read way too much into things when I think somebody else would probably just say like, I think I'm probably just not into this person. I know I'm now on the like, you know, is this attachment? Is this X? Is this where like other people probably wouldn't do that?
0: I know. It's like, you're doing basically a case formulation on yourself and whether exactly <laughs> whether or not you're attracted I, on a date. Yeah.
1: And my therapist is like, stop. Like, cause I'm like, am I just self-sabotaging because he's nice and I'm just attracted to toxicity? And she's like, stop. Like, no. Yeah. But in my mind, like, I'm really trying to figure out like the clinical aspect of this. And I also have to say, like, I have not met a ton of really nice men. I'm not saying they don't exist. But I also think it's like that when you do, it feels like I must hang on to this person. Like it does feel like that scarcity too, where it's like, is this going to come around again?
0: A hundred percent. And it's so much more complicated too when there is some legitimacy to the scarcity. Like if your sample set is that you have not actually met that many people like this who have these things you're looking for objectively, then it's like, there's a way that that's true, that it's it's just like the math says that there's more douchebags than there are great options, but that doesn't mean you need to like, take what you can get. I mean, it's that, yeah,
1: that is like also it. But I think as therapists, just like understanding our trauma and then thinking about like, what is their trauma? Like, and what is their attachment. It's just like, I can't, I can't.
0: It's really interesting with the attachment stuff. You know, that whole, something I, I got so into at a time was that, you know, that whole attachment theory around In couples where you're drawn to someone whose wound like matches yours in a way that just mutually activates it all so you can heal it on both of your parts, you know, and that often if why why it doesn't work is because not both people are in the right place or have the capacity to actually like face that battle (laughs) and achieve the thing you both deeply want And I kind of buy into that. Like, I feel like with my husband, like I can see how and at an earlier time had we met, we would have both been either hurt or um, hurt the other person, you know, like it's like that thing is there that would have drawn each other That would have drawn, pulled each other toward each other. But we met when we were 32 and 33 and we'd both done a bunch of work. And so I feel like instead we were able to like move through, but it did not. I think that's just kind of timing. It's not about getting to a point where you're suddenly attracted to a different kind of person.
1: Right. That's, that's exactly it. And I don't think that we need to gaslight ourselves into being attracted to certain people just because they're nice. Like, I do feel like it's just not so black and white, but so much of what we see online and like dating coaches and even in therapy is like, it's either this or that. And I think it's a million things in between.
0: I agree. I love when you go off online about some of these like coaches who, for anyone who doesn't know, anyone can call themselves a coach, a life coach, a relationship coach, a sex coach, anyone. It is not regulated. by anybody. <laughs> it's
1: so unreal the things that I see online.
0: What's the worst thing you've seen?
1: Honestly, recently it was I feel like there are a couple of different things, but I saw one about like basically if you text a lot in the beginning, like they're love bombing you. Oh my god. And it's just like some people just like to text a lot. Not everything is like manipulative love bombing. That was unreal to me. It was basically like that person is love bombing you. They're trying to like essentially manipulate you in some way that is love bombing. No, like maybe you just like to communicate a lot. Maybe it's two people who are just really into each other and they're texting.
0: Yeah. That's so, so black and white. It's, and what I, I can imagine causing so much harm for people. Because if someone is like texting you in the beginning more than you're comfortable with, it's also like the agency is all, all off. Like, then it's your job to be like, Hey, like I, just so you know, I don't like, I'm, I'm not into texting this much. And then if that person disrespects your boundary, like, or is just not a good match. Okay. Right.
1: But like calling that love bombing. And then the other thing is like, what is this whole like high value men and high value women? I don't know if you're seeing that. What is that? But it's how to attract a high value man and like how to be like a high value woman. And I think it's really like it. It talks about like gender roles and like gender stereotypes. And I think like a high value man is someone who like makes money and is like providing. It's unbelievable. Like I think a lot of these coaches have like resorted or like the he's in his masculine or she's in her feminine. And like you don't want a guy who's in his feminine. And it's just like, what the fuck is this?
0: Who are these people? Like you, they're all
1: over TikTok. There's like two I can think of in particular. And he like one of them Literally, I used to like him as a dating coach. And now he talks about like why he resorts to traditional like gender roles and like what it means to like be in your masculine for your partner. It's just like masculinity and femininity are social constructs. Uh-huh. What does that mean to like be in your masculine energy? Oh, like Oh,
0: no. I don't do not encounter any of this on TikTok. I think the algorithm knows. This is
1: my problem. The <laughs> algorithm is like it's. It's fucking me. Or it's like, if he does this, red flag. Like, that's like oh all over. Oh, God. Yeah. And it's like, no, a red flag is a red flag to a specific person. So what might be a red flag to someone else might not be for another person. Yeah. But like, everything has to just be so like black and white. He's anxious attachment. He's not red flag or not. I can't take it.
0: I know. It's horrible. People will just take in as truth whatever they see on like dating and sex and it's hard people already have so much they're working against every single human being and they don't need to pile on with like you living your life by these kind of standard definitions that came from just some random lady in ohio who's like i'm a coach
1: yeah and then also like i don't know if you see this but i have a lot of clients come into my office like am i a red flag am Mm -hmm. i toxic because of everything they've seen online Mm -hmm. it's fostered so much anxiety like i've had clients come in and be like am i a narcissist and it's like you wouldn't even be asking that question if you were a true narcissist first of all that's always
0: what i tell that is always what i tell people when they ask me if if uh they're a narcissist every time
1: because it's you know, so like true. you wouldn't think you were a narcissist if you were a narcissist. <laughs> you would be
0: sitting there being like everyone else is a narcissist yeah. i'm great <laughs> that's exactly it that's exactly yeah, it. it's so true Ugh. all right there's so much i want to talk to you about we're gonna we're gonna pivot into playing the shame game Yes. Okay. So the shame game, I don't know if you've listened to other episodes, but it is, I'm basically going to give you two scenarios that either one could be shame inducing. You know, it's always interesting to me because obviously, you know, I write them. So I always assume they'll induce shame. For some people they don't. And that's kind of curious, shall we say diagnostic? It's very interesting. (laughs) And, um, (laughs) but You know, I just basically, I'm going to lay them out for you and then you can decide which would be more likely to evoke a bigger shame spiral of these two. Okay. Okay? All right. So here's the first one. They're both kind of therapy themed because um, I knew you were a therapist. So you, you wake up one morning, it's a work day and you're feeling a little bit queasy. And let's say you ate like oysters or something the night before and you're like, mm, something's not right. But but you know, you feel like you don't throw up and you're like, I'm okay. I think I'm gonna be fine. And you take the train, you you commute to your office. I don't know if you work from home or an office, but let's say you're in an office and um you you're kind of escalatingly feeling that something's not good in my gut feeling, but your first session is with this client who with whom you had a very intense session the week before, and you really feel like this session needs to happen. And it's so late. Like by the time you get to your office, they're probably about to come into the waiting room. So if you canceled, you know they'd have to had to come all the way from Brooklyn. Like all of this is going through your mind. So you kind of gaslight yourself into being like, I'm not sick like I'm fine, I'm not going to throw up. I need to see this client, like I will be fine. Even though you kind of know you're not fine. And this client has pretty bad contamination OCD. So, for anyone who doesn't know, like germs, like en- basically like anything that can feel contamination, like those obsessions and compulsions. So, you're in the session, you are going to puke. And you're trying so hard. Also, your client's really upset. They're having a terrible, (laughs) terrible day. I love this. I love this. And you're like, I'm going to puke. And you know you need to be like, excuse me, I need to go to the bathroom. But you just kind of don't because they're like in a really – it would be really hard to stop them in that moment. And again, you know you should. You know it's the right thing to do. But you just kind of don't. And then you projectile vomit, like, and like it gets on them. Like it, it, you literally hit them with your vomit.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: And they are so upset. I mean, they like pretty much have a panic attack and like run, run out of the office. And you can't even really do anything because you are still throwing up. And then, um, they never come back. And this person is someone you'd have a long term, really good working therapeutic relationship with. You were in the middle of like really deep shit with their OCD, with trauma stuff, and they were finally making progress. And then they just fully ghost after this incident. Okay. okay. Scenario one. Scenario two. <laughs> so you are, so-, so in reality, I'm just giving a little context for people. In reality, you, as I said earlier, are a therapist who's a specialist in OCD, who is open about having OCD. So that's like, that's real. Now in this scenario, um, someone like a prominent figure in the psychoanalytic community and not necessarily like stodgy, like old timey psychoanalytic, but let's say like modern like um like feminist contemporary psychoanalysis. So just to say it's not just like an old white dude. Like it's like a cool psychoanalyst <laughs> um writes a paper in like something more important than psychology today, but like some kind of <laughs> some kind of psychology uh and it's maybe more like a journal, like an academic journal. Um, about the rise in uh, self-disclosure among psychotherapists and the relationship of that to social media profiles with those therapists and the dangers of that and uses you as like the example and kind of breaks down all this shit that you've said in your posts and, and isn't necessarily saying like, Allegra is unethical, but they're sort of using you as like all the way, they break down all the ways it could be unethical, it could harm the client, like this way and this way and this way. And the article gets, you know, you have a pretty big social media platform. The article gets like a lot of attention and people are talking about it. And even though they don't say, again, that you are harming clients, like so all the things on their list in the paper are kind of the things that you have feared and ultimately decided no that isn't the case but it like act it's you know it activates like all of those fears and it's very public in the psychotherapy community so and you probably have to address it in some way like on your social media and maybe your clients bring it up shit like that so those are the two so yeah, which do you think would be harder for you? Shame oh, easily number two Number two, okay, easily,
1: yeah, I think the first one like wouldn't be about me, mm. right? Like I'm like I think that if a client was triggered, I would feel bad, but we're all humans. If I puked, like it just kind of would be what it is. And I think I would wonder more about the client who ghosted and didn't come back after a really long, like great therapeutic relationship. I would understand that that wasn't about me. The second one, I think that would trigger this fear that I have about myself, which is like, I am bad. Basically, like there is something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. That is like my like core, core, like belief. Mm-hmm. I That would probably, yeah, that would destroy me.
0: How, what do you think that would look like for you? Like, particularly as it relates to your, I mean, to your life in general and like your mental health, but also it's so related to your practice and your career. So like that destroying, like how would it destroy you in all those ways?
1: I think it would internally destroy me, but I actually don't think it would externally just because like I have so many clients who are so grateful that I'm like open about my own OCD and I just like see the clinical benefit Mm -hmm. of it. So I wouldn't worry that it like would impact my clients in any way. I think I would just feel so much shame for being like, put on blast in that way and having someone else think that I am bad Mm -hmm. even if I disagree with it just somebody else doing that like massively triggers me it's hard for me to separate that like this is their own shit and not just me being defective Mm -hmm. so I think I would spiral internally and call my therapist like (laughs) 80,000 times and she would Want to kill me? No, she's fine. She's (laughs) wonderful. I'm like buzz buzz bitch. It's me again. (laughs) That's probably what would happen. And she's like Allegra. We just talked two minutes ago. (laughs) What do you need? That's so cute. Um, it would be an internal, I think, more than external. But that is like a like not in that specific way. But the fear of like being publicly canceled that definitely is something that like I have worried about before because people are ruthless on the internet.
0: They really are.
1: Like, I could say, I mean, I've gotten blasted for, like, saying that I liked watching the movie Me Before You. And, like, I I mean, just, like, books that I post. Like, I posted a book last week, and it was like, did you know that this author is X, Y, and Z? And, like, I'm going to let you know, because you shouldn't be reading. Like, just, like, everything I do, I feel like there's, like, someone who says something. <sighs>
0: I have so many thoughts about this and feelings about it.
1: Yeah. There actually was someone once who like tried to kind of do that in an Instagram slideshow. And I was just like, you got to be kidding me.
0: An Instagram slideshow? I'm not
1: joking. It was a slideshow (gasps) of pictures of me and how like, I'm not, you know what it was? I put up a meme and it was something like, it was this guy that I like who does these like balloon quotes. And he said like, fuck nudes I want to see like your therapy receipts Mm -hmm. like okay I I like a person who goes to therapy they took it as like not everyone can afford to go to therapy you are like basically like you are not intersectional you are not and like just blasted me in all of these paragraphs about how I shouldn't be a practicing therapist because I posted that like just wild stuff because of that that I'm like like it just basically like not intersectional, not trauma informed, like all of this. And it was just like photos of me. (gasps) And I was just like, I don't like know what to say. Um, all because I put up a meme.
0: How did you handle
1: that? I mean, I definitely was, I think I get more angry sometimes Mm -hmm. when it comes to stuff like that on social media, Mm -hmm. because I can't understand doing that to someone. Like, I don't understand having the time in your day. I don't understand taking something like that simple of a meme and like turning it into something it's not. So I felt like so much anger. And then I just had to like, let it go and say like, Hey, this person has like a hundred followers. First of all, it's Mm -hmm. like, no one cares, but also like, it's a reflection of them, you know, and not me. Yeah. I hate that though, because like, I am so intersectional and I do very much so care about justice and to say that I'm not because I posted a meme is like a pretty, that's like a, that's a long shot.
0: It's a really long shot. And I think, I think what's so, what always feels so bad to me too, about those kinds of moments is like, if someone calls me out about something where I really had an oversight, like I I, I missed something and it was harmful. Like I am so quick to be like, Mm -hmm. you're right. I am sorry. Like, I apologize too much. You know what I mean? So it's like, but when people then come after you for things where you can really trust yourself that, like, there, this is not like sometimes you can trust, like, no, this is not problematic. And like, your trauma is informing or your rage or your anxiety is informing your projection (laughs) of this onto me. Like, that is also true sometimes. And it's crazy making. So it it's is. too much. Sometimes it is too far. Like for you to be, for it to be like your ableist because you posted a meme yeah. about wanting people you date to be in therapy, like loosely suggesting that you value that. Right. It's when too It's too much.
1: It's like what people don't understand is like, I don't know if you had to do this when like becoming a therapist, but I worked for free for such a long time. Oh, I was yeah, of course. $5, like they would pay literally $5 a session there are, you know, like, there is low fee therapy at this point. Like, do I think everyone has the same access to therapy? Absolutely not. But I was kind of just like, I like, it was it was a big jump. And I've got Yeah, I've gotten like, you're too skinny to be talking about like body image. And I'm like, first of all, no, I'm not. But second of all, what? and why are you policing that? Like, yeah. Yeah. And I agree with you. I do want to say, like, if someone I've been called in before where I'm like, wow, that was, that was an oversight. Mm-hmm. I'm the first to say, I'm sorry. I didn't, you know, I really didn't think that through. I'll take it down, whatever. But most of the time, I feel like it's just this very nitpicky thing. And mm-hmm. it's like, you feel like you almost can't say anything back because you're like adding fuel to their fire.
0: Yes. When, when I was newer to having a social media platform, I would respond to like everyone. <laughs> yes. I was like, in a thoughtful, (laughs) like super careful way. And now I just don't most of the time unless I really feel like I want to or should. Also, if people have already decided that you are acting with a set of intentions and you are this thing that they've projected onto you, like what I've seen is that it doesn't really matter what you say. Like it gets filtered through the prism of like, This is what, Mm -hmm. this is the harm that you're enacting. So then it's like, why am I talking to a stranger about?
1: Oh my gosh. And the word harm. I'm sorry. I just think that has been thrown around so much. Do I think people can harm people online? Absolutely. But it's like me putting up a meme did not harm people. Like, what do we mean by harm? I'm actively harmed. I'm like, it is literally a meme. And it's like, it is my truth. I would prefer to date people who are working on themselves in therapy. Like, how did I harm you? <laughs> you
0: know? You're harming me because I can't afford to go to therapy right now. And you saying that you want to be with someone in therapy means that I am not desirable as a possible partner to other people. Like, that's too much like this is the shit Allegra that turns me into a fucking boomer like I'm just kind of like okay. you guys yep. have lost the plot like <laughs> this is no, out of control. people have
1: and that is what I think like I think that's what pushes people further out of like certain spaces it's like if everything I do or say is harmful like it just it feels like there's no winning yeah and then it does induce shame because someone is literally saying like you are wronging people I
0: know, You know, and
1: it's like, it does, even if you know that you're not, you have these people just like blasting you behind a keyboard and it, yeah, it's too much. I can't, the word harm. There's so much that I'm like, I, I can't, and I'm okay saying I can't, I wasn't, I didn't used to be, cause I was afraid that even saying that I would get canceled. But now to me, it's just like, I really can't. And I'm fine saying that.
0: I really admire that. Like, I feel like this comes up sometimes on this podcast and I always feel a little bit of anxiety talking about it because of the same thing. I'm like, oh, I don't want to lose like, like young Gen Z listeners who are, who are going to be like, what do you mean? Like, I thought we all had a group agreement that like, <laughs> like anything could <can> be harm. <laughs> you know? yeah. And it's like, no. no, I'm not on that. No. I did not sign that, you know, but right. like everything <laughs> is
1: not narcissism. And, everything is not toxic. Like I just I feel like there is this like group thing mm-hmm. and then if you don't buy into every little piece of it, like you are now harmful. I know. Like where is the nuance?
0: I know. You're like not everything is harmful and then they're like you are harmful now, yeah. right now.
1: <laughs> yeah. Because you just told me that it's not harmful, you have harmed me and it's just like
0: yeah, I feel like I get it generationally like in terms of the progression and like the reaction to different kinds of parenting and different circumstances in, in the world. And even if we're just to look at like America, you know, like, I feel like, I don't know how old you are, but growing up, like I was raised by baby boomers. I don't know about your parents. They might be younger, but. I don't even know. I'm it's <laughs> so sad. I don't even know what a baby boomer is. Oh, it's like, you know, I feel like you know? they were born in like the fifties and maybe or early sixties. Okay. Yeah. That would yeah. be my parents. Point. Okay. So. Um, yeah, like it was so just like feelings. No, I don't like soccer. It doesn't matter if you like soccer, you just play soccer. That was the vibe, you know, and now it's like the total inverse. Mm -hmm. Every feeling matters. Every feeling is valid and legitimate, even though sometimes feelings are, every feeling is a feeling, but that doesn't mean that every feeling reflects like a reality Or is something you then need to, like, make a clear choice around? Like, you have to remove yourself from whatever the thing is that caused the feeling. It's, like, way too far in the other direction.
1: Yeah. I think that that's exactly it. Like, where is the middle ground? I know. You know, there's an account I really like. I don't agree with everything she posts, but her name is, like, Sarut... Chala or something like that. And she just put up a post talking about this, like, no, all of your feelings are not valid. (laughs) And it's like that, you know, like not everything you're feeling reflects reality. You are feeling it. So it's valid in that sense, but like, it doesn't mean it's a reflection of what's happening. You saying that I'm harming people isn't like inherently reality because you're saying that.
0: Well, and it's, it's just so sticky because it's like, Yeah. Sometimes you feel harmed and that person has harmed you and they're unaware of it and they're they're unconsciously racist, unconsciously ableist. Mm -hmm. There's something they, they did that is truly harmful. And sometimes you feel harmed and it is because for a lot of shit, for a lot of reasons why you experience a moment as harmful. And that doesn't always mean that that person was harming you. But some things you're going to experience as harm because of all of who you are and what you're going through. And it's like, I feel like that piece is so missing.
1: It is. And that's exactly it. And again, I want to clarify, like, I totally agree with you. There are people who just don't see that they are harming others. And that's like, so not what I'm referring to. I'm referring to the like this, the ladder, basically, where people don't take into account maybe their own feelings or like what it triggered within them. Like if I say to a friend, I can't hang out with you tonight. Like I'm too tired. And they say like, well, you're actively harming me because I think that like, I don't know, my social anxiety is now spiked. And like, I feel judged by you. And it's like all of those feelings you're feeling, but that doesn't mean it's a reflection of what's happening. Like me saying no doesn't mean that I've harmed you. It might feel awful to you. Yeah. That that is the difference.
0: It is the difference. I mean, I think this is another way sometimes having a training in therapy makes things harder because I feel so aware of all, all of this shit. And sometimes when, when people talk to me about those kinds of interactions, I feel like it doesn't happen that much in my life. Like the kind of thing you just described, probably because of like who I choose to be friends with, <laughs> but I've seen it. I've experienced it a little. And I just, I'm like, man, like if people could just be like, Hey, like that kind of triggered me that you said you were like too busy or too tired. It made me, it like brought up some feelings for me that like, you don't care about me. And I'm just like, is that like, I'm just like checking that reality with you or like, I just want you to know I feel hurt. I know you didn't like mean to hurt me. Like that then creates the real thing that person wants, which is for that other, the recipient to be like, oh my God, I love you. Like, no, of course not. It means nothing. I'm so fucking tired. And the alternate creates the fear, which is like, ooh, I don't want, I can't, I need space from that person now. (laughs) Like that is a trauma enactment. No, it a
1: hundred percent is. And then it's like, it's a, pro- and I do this a lot, like in my own therapy, like I've seen my therapist for eight years and I'll project sometimes. And then I'll act as if that projection is real yeah. and it fucks me up. Totally. She's like, oh, like, you're like, none of this is like happening, but I live like from session to session and I'm like, that definitely happened. <laughs> and it's like, none of it happened. I know, But when I'm able to say like, this is what I fear based on what happened, it brings us like so much closer.
0: I know. I know. Ugh, oh my God so frustrating
1: and that's why we need to date people in
0: therapy 100% (laughs) no for real because (laughs) when you're just like going rogue like you're just walking around thinking all kinds of shit is the truth
1: (laughs) you know I was about to say say raw dogging it because that's what I feel like (laughs) raw (laughs) dogging it that's oh my god
0: (laughs) when I was not in therapy and not on medication raw dogging life. Yeah. I almost broke up my engagement. Like I was psycho. I was so yeah. and which I know you're not supposed to say psycho anymore.
1: <sighs> I get it though. Like I was that. crazy.
0: I know you're not supposed to say crazy. I'm just like on one right now. I'm like I'm going to say
1: what I want. <laughs> and but that's how it feels. Like I sometimes I say too like I genuinely felt like
0: psychotic. I you know. I mean, yes. Also, I feel like I am crazy. Like, I'm clinically crazy. Like, I have yeah, no, multiple sure. I like, <laughs> diagnoses. I feel like I can what? say crazy to describe my right. own OCD. <laughs> uh, yeah.
1: Like, something ain't right up here, and that's
0: okay. Like, it's just not. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. I want to ask you, like, shame-wise, too. Um, like, so you have O. So yes. So do I. And when you said, when we were talking about the shame game scenarios, you said something I really resonated with, which was like, basically that second one would confirm your greatest fear, which is like, I am bad. Like I am deeply bad. And that is also my greatest fear. I feel like everything, all my struggle orbits around that fear. And for me, like I have since understood a lot of it is related to OCD and undiagnosed OCD. And I'm really curious for you. if what, if that relationship is, is also really there in terms of that fear and OCD or just what it is like, you know, and what it has been yeah. like around shame and, and having OCD.
1: It's really interesting. Cause I think in the last year or two, I've put together that piece of like, I think I had my specific obsessions, which basically were like sexual obsessions about animals, family members, kids, like, which to me is like the worst of the worst. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's it's harder per se than another obsession, mm-hmm. but it's like the most stigmatizing and the yes. most shameful. Mm-hmm. I always validate that for clients. And in the last year or two, I think that I've realized that those probably stuck as opposed to something else, because I've had this fear that like I am bad and that there's something inherently wrong with me ever yes. since I was a kid. And like my parents ultimately like confirmed that is what I feel with like how they treated me and the things that they said about me. Mm-hmm. and. The way that they treated like my body and even just like random things that you would think probably wouldn't. I'm not saying this caused OCD, but like in fifth grade, I think I like touched like a there was like a blow up doll at the Halloween store and I like touched the boob. Also, I'm bisexual. So it's like (laughs) duh, I touched the boob. But my dad like called me a pervert and went on this like 45 minute rant of like about how perverted I was. (sighs) Like so all this, like messaging from growing up that made me believe that I am like some fucking weirdo. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's probably why, like at least on some subconscious level, that like that obsession has been the one that stuck. I don't give a shit about contamination. I don't care about religious or like moral scrupulosity per se. Like, it's always been this like, am I like a weird, like deviant, bad person? <sighs>
0: Oh my God, that's so fascinating that, like, to think about that in terms of why the specific intrusive thoughts basically had like a perfect little home waiting for it.
1: And I know a lot of therapists don't like to talk about that. And I used to be one of them that would say, like, no, it's just random. It's just random, like, whatever your brain sticks to. But like, I don't fully Mm -hmm. believe that anymore Mm -hmm. because I do think that there tends to be a very selective nature of obsessions. Yeah. And like, why wouldn't it stick to contamination for me? Why wouldn't it stick to, you know, Yeah, I think that it sticks to like the sexual and even like what we were talking about in terms of dating. Cause that also comes back to, am I just inherently bad? And like, I'm just fucking up life.
0: A hundred percent. I mean, I really agree with you. And I similarly used to be like, I found it more of a relief for me, for clients to be like it's random it's garbage it's random garbage yeah you know like doesn't even matter mm-hmm. don't even worry about that um like that felt like a relief but i agree with you too i agree with you now that it's more like what are you ripe for like that it will yes. because anything could stick any intrusive thought could mm-hmm. stick and that's the random like that's the randomness mm-hmm. you know but you are a right. specific person with a set of experiences and i feel really similarly like mine is you know i have relationship o- ocd which definitely is centered around like i'm like bad and evil and there's something wrong with me and then some other like am i am i secretly like a deviant as well like could i abuse like i used to always worry i would abuse my children if i had children yeah. that was like one of my biggest fears or would i abuse any children or stuff like that and um and i think for me like a lot of it came like I always felt like I was bad for being queer. Like I, you know, grew up in a really homophobic time, spent my whole childhood kind of knowing I was going to come out at some point and and it was going to like break everybody's hearts and that I was like disgusting and gross and evil, you know? And yeah. then it was like, well, no, actually you're evil because you uh, could molest a child one day. You <laughs> yeah, you could be a pedophile. And it t- seems too... Like, it just seems like that has to be connected in some way, which now I think that's a relief. Yeah,
1: totally. And that can, that can help a person. And like this idea that like all of it's garbage, I like that in the sense of like, we don't necessarily need to pay attention to it. But then I think that if we're not paying attention to it in the ways that we should, we miss massive pieces of treatment, like Mm -hmm. where that like core fear could be influencing OCD the shame that people feel like if we're just saying oh it doesn't matter it's a thought you might be missing how ashamed that person feels for having taboo obsession totally so i think we like invalidate and miss a lot when we just say like the content doesn't matter yeah and like wildly i need to dig into the research more but i was just reading a research article this morning that talked about certain obsessions research shows do people do experience more shame from like the sexual and violent And then it was something like, I don't want to misquote this, but it was, I think the pathology of the more taboo obsessions can be greater. Mm. And like, so we just ignore that when we say the content doesn't matter and it's, it's just OCD. It just is. I think that we're missing important parts of treatment.
0: That's so interesting. Yeah. And the shame, there's so much to that. Like, it just makes me think about like the shame is naturally going to be the thing that we all want to be as far away from because it's so uh, disturbing and distressing. And, and then I could see unconsciously how practitioners would feel the same, like could easily collude and like, well, it's much more manageable to be like, let's focus on the exposure and like, you know, the minute, like the cognitive stuff and then avoid the shame also but if but if the severity is somehow connected to the severity of the shame then which it makes me think of trauma work like it's kind of similar it's like if you never really engage deeply in the trauma like you can't really expect PTSD symptoms to alleviate because there's like a well of shit that is just being untouched you know
1: yeah Yeah, exactly.
0: How did the shame, because you were diagnosed as an adult, correct? Also.
1: Yeah, it was like 19 onset and then 21 diagnosis or like, yeah, basically 21.
0: And to getting a diagnosis, were you one of the people for whom it like immediately alleviated some of the shame? Oh, hell no. Hell no. Tell me.
1: I was like, okay, so I like, I remember that first thought that like, what I say, like broke my brain, essentially.
0: What was the first thought?
1: It was like this little girl walked into the boutique that I was working at. And there's so much that I could say about that, too. I think that like, I guess I'll do who cares. I think that like, like chubbier kids trigger me more in terms of my OCD. And like, Mm -hmm. I've I now associate associate that with like, I got made fun of a lot by my parents for being like chubby as a kid. Mm-hmm. So I think that like sexual, like unwanted sexual thoughts about chubby kids like trigger me more because it's like this, like, ooh, it's like, I don't want that. Cause I don't want that in me. But Ugh, anyways, yeah. my brain basically was like, what if you had sex with her? And that was like the end of it for me. Ugh. It was like the first time I'd ever had a thought like that. And then it was just like nonstop, like constant sexual thoughts and images and, that shame was like, it was, I mean, there's like, I don't think I'll ever feel, feel more shame in my entire life because I had no idea what was happening. And when I finally did get a diagnosis, like almost two years, or I guess like a year and a half into it, I still didn't believe that it was OCD. Like how could someone who has OCD be having unwanted sexual thoughts about children and animals and family members? Mm -hmm. Like I didn't even believe the diagnosis.
0: You didn't. No.
1: No. It didn't like it didn't do a whole lot for me, to be honest. And for some people, it does. It's like, great, there's a name for it. I don't have to worry about it. For me, I was still convinced that I was a terrible person.
0: So what ultimately helped shift that for you?
1: I think proper treatment, like a few years into struggling and then also just time. Like I remember I wouldn't tell I wouldn't tell my own therapist a single thought. Like I would sit there like silently the whole session. And then in the last five minutes, I would like disclose one of my intrusive thoughts. And then I would like run out the door. And so, like, no,
0: I know. A little doorknob like, action. <laughs> I'm like, hi, I'm
1: worried. I'm going to fuck the dog. And then I like sprint out, <laughs> like run for the, and she's like, um, okay, see you next week.
0: <laughs> so real. Oh my God. No, it's like
1: so real. But I think like time and me healing my own symptoms and like me writing about it and talking about it Mm -hmm. and like being open on social media that made the shame so much smaller. Like I love what Brene Brown says when she says like shame grows in secrecy. When I started being like vocal, which I don't think everyone needs to do, but this helped me when I like owned it and said, this is what I'm experiencing. And when I have people who say like, I know that's not you, I'm so sorry that you've suffered that helped immensely with the shame as opposed to me just like sitting here worrying about whether or not I could be this person and like what everyone else would think about me if they knew. It's like, everyone does know at this point because it's all over the internet.
0: Oh my God. That's so fucking amazing and badass. Like I really admire how open and public you are about Mm -hmm. it. I think it's doing so much in like a grassroots way to destigmatize and lessen people's suffering because- such a, one of the hugest parts of that particular suffering is like I alone am evil For me, it was kind of like even people who think they love me like don't really because like they think i I've managed to convince them I'm this yep. good person, but mm-hmm. if they knew I was evil, they would not love me. So it's like actually being oh op- extremely open with people in your life and then being like, "Oh, and they still love me. It's like, even if you struggle with whether you're evil, it's kind of like, well, I guess even if I am evil, they still love me. <laughs> you know? Right? That's really powerful. Totally.
1: That has been like the most helpful thing. And I'm like in the process of writing a book. And I like was, I used to be so afraid of that. Like if this book comes out, is nobody going to want to date me? Mm-hmm. But like the wild thing is, I shouldn't say this, but I'll say it like the dude that I've been on two dates with. We matched on Hinge and he messaged me and he was like, this is the weirdest thing. But like, you came up in my explore feed on Instagram <laughs> and like your content is like so valuable. And it was like a post about like intrusive thoughts about like pedophilia. <laughs>
0: and, like, That's amazing.
1: So I was like, wow, like this guy like didn't run for the hills, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that like the more open I am about it, it's like, if you're going to date me, if you're like whoever I'm going to end up with, like you're going to know all about this. So like, it just is what it is.
0: I love that so much. I love thinking about like um seek like the the sort of really intentional sharing and connection as the antidote to the shame and the secrecy.
1: Right. Which differs from like compulsive confession. So I love that you just said like intentional. Yeah. Because a lot of people with OCD want to confess. It's like they don't want to tell the person, but the compulsion becomes, let me confess just so they know that I'm not evil or just so they know like who I am. That's different than intentional sharing.
0: Yeah. Because the, I guess if you're in that space of like compulsive confession, then you can't even take in, it doesn't even matter what comes back your way.
1: No. And then you just reinforce to your brain that like, every time you feel the urge to confess this thought that like, you must do it. That's the way to alleviate anxiety. (sighs) So you see people like confessing all day long to their partner. Like I'm having these thoughts that like, I don't really love you. And it's like all day long. Oh
0: God. Oh my God. That's horrible.
1: I know. And then it's, it's sad for the partner, right? Because it's like, they're having to be on the receiving (laughs) end. really hard for the partner. It's like, no, it's so, I would be like, what?
0: what do you mean? (laughs) Oh my God. I love how you, um, put it as like the day that broke my brain because like the thought, the one thought that broke my brain, because, Mm -hmm. um, I've never heard it put that way before. And I didn't know that was a shared thing. Like I, like I have also a thought that broke my, broke my brain and it was never the same after that. And I also will always remember it. I wonder how many people with OCD have that like that thought that kind of starts the landslide? So many,
1: like I've posted about it on Instagram before and there are so many people who respond saying, like, I remember the exact moment. I remember what I was doing, what I was wearing, the exact thought. Just so interesting. Like, why does that happen?
0: Oh my God, it's so interesting. Cause like I'd had OCD when I was a kid as well. Like I would be like, if I don't get up and move the figurines, like uh, someone's gonna come in my room and kidnap me. Like it was that kind of stuff. And I did a lot of that, but this one was like, I was in love, like so in love with my first girlfriend. So in love, so happy. I was like 19 and we got really high and we were having like the best night ever. And then I went to the bathroom and I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, what if you don't really love her? And like, you're not really in love with her. And then I was never the fucking same. And also I spent the next like four years ruining that relationship, you know? So that's oh, so sad. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. that is so sad. And that's just like, that is OCD to a T where like you are doubting reality. Like that's yeah. what we call obsessional doubt mm-hmm. where it's not reasonable doubt. This like, what if I don't actually love my partner? But what you're saying is like reality showed me that I did. And now I'm doubting that I'm like in this possibility instead of living in the world that exists.
0: There's that sort of way where it just creates the reality it's afraid of because I was so in love, you know, and then, but I became 24 seven, all I could think about was that I didn't really love her and I was like tricking her and tricking myself and how do I know if I love mm-hmm. her and like um and then like that kills love because there was no room for love to exist there was no room for intimacy to happen because all I, I was just in fill replete with anxiety so then it's like that changes the relationship and yeah oof, it's all just so fucked up that breaks my heart for you Oh, it breaks my heart for you with the thought that broke your brain. It's like that's so painful. The the thoughts about children, animals, like I just I feel like I would not wish those on a single person in the world. No. It's so yeah. painful. It's so painful to and I mean something that I'm sure you tell your clients all the time that you try to tell yourself that it's easier to tell your clients than tell yourself is part of I believe that like part of the reason you have that thought and then it becomes stuck and be- and it becomes, and it's so distressing is because that is like the last thing you would ever want to do. Like, I really believe that, you know, like I don't, oh, I, do too. I think that like, it's almost made from that, that it's so horrifying to you. And that's why it is now this obsession. I feel like sometimes that helps <laughs> to, re- to remind yourself that. Yeah.
1: And it's true. Like, I love kids. Like I've always loved kids. Like I knew at age three that I wanted to be a mom more than anything. Like kids Mm -hmm. have been my favorite thing in the world always. So it it like makes so much sense to me why this would stick. You know, it's like the thing that I love most. My brain like sinks its teeth into. Oh
0: my god! And that is so. That makes me think about what the story I just shared with you. It was like that's it. I was finally happy. Like after being closeted my whole life, I was like, I'm in love, and then my brain was like got to destroy that fucking shit.
1: <laughs> that's oh, that's so hard. Did you get through it though? Like, do you feel better now in your relationship?
0: Yeah. Like I was close to ruining this relationship that I'm in because I, that whole time I never knew I had OCD and I just thought I had anxiety. I'd been like diagnosed with anxiety, plain anxiety, which is not accurate. And then um, basically, long story short, especially because I've talked about it already on this podcast, but I uh, was having a lot of obsessive thoughts about my now husband when we were engaged. And it kind of started as soon as we got engaged. What if I don't really love him, blah, blah, blah. And then I went, uh, I saw a therapist who was like, "Mm, I think you have OCD. And I was like, no one's ever told me that before. I don't think I have OCD. And she's like, yeah, I think you do. And then I went back on medication and then I was like, oh yeah, no, I actually like love my fiance. And then I have since been fine. Like sometimes when I'm struggling, you know, how intrusive thoughts will kind of like perk up more, like, like not perk up, but like they're, they kind of, they're like, more they quick. a little louder. They get a little louder. They like, a little louder. But I'm at the point where I'm like, that's, I can just be like, la la blah, blah, you know, moving along. God, that's amazing. It's good. I'm so grateful. It's so sad to think about how I could have just continued to like ruin good things, like without medication and treatment, <laughs> you know?
1: I know it's true.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you have a particular shame story that you brought to tell?
1: I have so many. I honestly would say that like that, that first intrusive thought was like my, that was definitely the most like shameful experience in my life.
0: That makes total sense that that was like the most shameful. Is that your doggy? Yes. I'm sorry. They're always so cute.
1: There is. Okay. There is another story that I felt so much shame about that. I'm like happy to tell, which I actually like, I don't think I've ever talked about this. Um, but I, so I used to live in Los Angeles and I lived in West Hollywood and I think I was 23 years old. Like I'd been feeling so much better about the OCD. But like, I don't know if you ever felt this way, but like when I started to feel better, it made me realize like how much I had lost to it. And I felt like, Mm -hmm. you know, I had like so much trauma growing up as a child and then it was anorexia and then it was OCD. And I feel like I got like out of the OCD and was like, wait, what the fuck just happened? And I was ready to like date again and whatever. And I've like had like sexual trauma. This is like, I'm really like condensing the story, but (laughs) yeah. So I went on a date with this guy and this was like after like the sexual trauma and whatever. And he like, he like essentially rejected me in a nice way. It wasn't like mean, but he rejected me. And I think I was just like at my breaking point of being like, just like, am I that unworthy to like men, especially in people Mm. that I date? Like, is there not anyone that's going to treat me well? I was so over like my experience with OCD and just like how traumatic my life was. I was really depressed at the time. So, I was at a bar on, I think it was like La Cienega with a friend. We had both had like four vodka drinks in an hour. Like, it was bad. Mm -hmm. I was like nearly blacked out and I felt so suicidal. Like, in that moment, I was just like, my life is fucked. I am bad. There's something wrong with me. It's not going to get better. And so, I texted some of my friends saying, like, I just want to die. Mm -hmm. And one of them called the police. (gasps) So, I walked home and there were, police cars outside of my West Hollywood apartment, which is like mortifying first and foremost, like, and they like came inside to like assess me or whatever, handcuffed me. And like, I literally was taken in handcuffs in a cop car to a county hospital in like downtown Los Angeles. And I mean, there was a a homeless man next to me, like itching his balls all night. He had like food hoarded in his bed. Another woman was like experiencing psychosis, yelling that we were like, all going to be like murdered tonight. And I was laying in this bed. Like, how the fuck did I get here? Especially like sobering up Mm -hmm. that like sobering up in the hospital bed was just like, and like, I'm not an alcoholic. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Like it genuinely was just like a lot of drinking and like, a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. And I got let out like the next day, but like my, I think my therapist was just scared, but like, I felt like a little bit of shame from her and like, just like having to be, or I ruined relationships that night. Like having to be around those people that like witnessed that was so, so it was beyond shameful. Like I was like, this has to be like rock bottom.
0: Oh, how did you feel shame from your therapist about it?
1: You know, I've talked to her about this. The first thing that she said to me, basically, when I called her was like, you need to stop drinking. It was like, the like, it was a, one of the first things she said. And I know that she was probably just like concerned because she'd probably been like been up all night, you know, like worrying. But like, I didn't have a drinking problem. Like it wasn't about the drinking at all. It was about the trauma that I had never worked on. It was about feeling so broken and like unlovable and like just immediately that like you have to stop drinking
0: mm. was like
1: that I had just like done this like bad thing. And mm-hmm. it's like alcohol related when it like actually wasn't alcohol related whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And it felt like I was being punished a little bit for like that experience and the pain that I was in. Mm-hmm. And that felt really shameful. Like it felt like, like, this is just like a binge drinking moment. Like, don't do it again.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, instead of like, wow, I'm so sorry that you just like spent the night in County hospital. We're arrested in front of your neighbors.
0: <laughs> I mean, yeah.
1: You know, like it just didn't need to be the first thing that she said. And like, I I wish that it was like a lot more compassionate. And she's like the, like the best, like she is like my favorite person in the world. I've seen her for eight years, but it, that moment was like, and then she like, couldn't see me that day. And I was like, what do you mean you can't make space for me? Like I literally just slept in a County hospital and I am so ashamed. <laughs> so that, and like, I was training to be a therapist at the time. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where some of that shame came from too, is like, which like, it's so interesting. Cause I, I asked my agents, like, do I include that part in the book? And they were like, I don't know, like maybe, maybe not. But like that ultimately also was where the shame came from. Like, is there something like wrong with me? And, and, you know, like, I, should I not be a therapist, even though that was like, not at all the case, Mm -hmm. I'm just really good at hiding my pain. And I always have been. And I think that it just like
0: everything broke that day. Yeah. That's really hard about the response, like a, a response to it, especially from your therapist that feels like it only addresses like kind of like, um, the symptom, like, like you were that drunk because you were in so much pain because of everything else you just said.
1: Right. I don't enjoy, I don't like, I will have some drinks if I'm with a friend, but like, it's, I prefer not to a lot of the time because Mm -hmm. it makes me more depressed. Like it genuinely wasn't like, I'm over here, like ripping shots all day long. You know, like it was, I was like, literally, I just happened to be at a bar Mm -hmm. when I just felt like, like nothing is going to get better at this
0: point mm-hmm. and you lost friendships over that experience oh I can't believe I'm gonna cry yeah because I said really horrible
1: things to the friend who um called the police like oh. I said really horrible things to her mm-hmm. some of the stuff I should have addressed previously and like addressing it while I'm like handcuffed at the hospital like drunk was like not so like yeah we're yeah we're like not friends anymore.
0: oh I'm so sorry You were you were so angry that she took that action and you were just
1: and like, I'm sure like, I understand why she did. But I was also just like, I don't know, like, I wish that you didn't kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like losing a friendship, being arrested. Laying it off, and like they thought that I was like detoxing at the hospital. Like, I remember hearing them be like, She needs to detox, and I'm like, Y'all, I had four drinks, <laughs> like, and I'm not enough. Like, what do you mean I need to detox? <laughs> like, so it was like this whole dramatic situation, yeah, you know, but like, I, yeah, I still feel a bit of shame about that. And besides, like, people who were there, like, no one knows about that, mm-hmm. you know, and like clearly. I mean, I got let out the next day. I wasn't like on a 5150,
0: you know? (sighs) So like the primary shame of it all was just like, what was the thing that still haunts you the most about? I mean, there's so many pieces to that whole experience. And then the aftermath of the experience.
1: I think it's like the aftermath and like the way that I felt after. And I think that that would have been the time to like dive into trauma therapy, Mm -hmm. not like four months ago when I finally started trauma-specific therapy. (laughs) Like that would have been the time. And I have so much compassion for my younger self looking back. And I kind of feel like not everyone around me had a lot of compassion for me. Mm -hmm. And that makes me sad. I think that like the shame that I feel is like other people just like thinking that I'm like crazy Mm -hmm. or like doing that for attention when like I really was just in so much pain. And I wish that that would have been the moment where like, I would have gotten like EMDR or like really started digging into like the trauma, not just from living with OCD, but like the sexual trauma and like my entire life, basically.
0: Totally. It's near impossible to not internalize that as shame. Like when you're experiencing the gaze on you as though like you are a bad person that yeah. Is doing shit for attention and yes that's hard not that's to take exactly on. how I felt mm-hmm. and that's so sad about your friend I feel like also you were so young like you were 24 did you say that 23,
1: 23. I think I was yeah I'm pretty positive that I was tw- maybe I was 24 I was 23 or 24. Yeah. I was like Mm -hmm. a baby,
0: a baby, a baby. baby. And I feel like that's such a thing that you just have to grieve sometimes. And it's such a different thing to try to grieve it while working on like severing that grief from the shame. Cause like Mm -hmm. I am an alcoholic and I've been in recovery forever, but like I made so many mistakes in my Mm twenties in my drinking that really hurt people. And I, I've lost one French, one friendship in particular that really just like bothers me. And sometimes I obsess about like why she won't talk to me anymore because I'm like so great now, you know, but I feel like it's so different to be like, she doesn't talk to me because I'm a terrible person and I made mistakes that are like never going to be okay. And, and, and those mistakes happen because ultimately I am horrible that's so different than being like, we were all really young. I was fucked up. I made mistakes that hurt her. And I just have to like, grieve that loss and respect that she doesn't want to be my friend. That's yeah. so different. That's so different.
1: You have to be such a good therapist because like, that's, ex- that's exactly it. Like, that's literally exactly it. I think like I internalize it as like, this is just another way in which I'm bad. You know, like it just mm-hmm. felt like more evidence and it's like, I let down my it's like I just felt like I let down like everybody instead of like I was a baby who has endured like immense trauma so much so that like this this also felt shameful my trauma therapist like basically fired me (sighs) two weeks ago two weeks ago I'm not it happened two weeks ago and it was like it was like so sudden it was in the beginning of like it was like five minutes into our session and she was just like I can't work with you and like, never had a conversation with me about it. There what? wasn't like, it, and then it was like, I contacted other people on your behalf. <laughs> like, We're going to get you to one of
0: them. Wait, what, sh- how did she not give you a reason?
1: Um, well, she basically, she said that like, she, it, like, she treats trauma, but like in a, without saying exactly this, not like my
0: trauma, Okay. <laughs> so I, I was
1: like, <laughs> am I like, too fucking traumatized um so it's like I have so much compassion for baby Allegra who like was so fucking traumatized and like literally raw dogging life is like that's what I was
0: doing I know
1: and so I'm like finally at like you know 28 29 like really digging into this mm-hmm. but like me at 23 24 like I just have so much compassion for her and it was just like drinking that much in that little time was a mistake, but like the way that I was feeling wasn't a mistake. It just was my life.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And like obviously, what I said to that to that girl was like horrible, you know, like didn't need to be said.
0: Mm-hmm. But it's like you're a person.
1: yeah, and I think I like had said it while
0: there was a person chained to the floor and this like oh, so I'm not anything you say while you're institutionalized. And does there's someone chained in a bed next to you does not count. No, that is not normal it's, circumstances.
1: It's not like, no, they were not. They were chained to the floor, not even the bed. There was a oh. massive chain and the person was like trying to rip out of it. And I'm just sitting there in my cuffs. Like.
0: Oh my God. Like, why yeah, do you I mean, treat people like this? So oh my horrible. God. That's so horrible. no one should and ever I'm be like, chained to a floor ever, ever, ever.
1: ever. And like, you know, I think you're right. Like if you're enduring that experience, what you say should not be should not be held accountable. for.
0: I think it's amazing. I feel like it's amazing that you're 28. You've like, I just turned 29 on Saturday, 29. You've like done so much work. You're writing a book. You have like a thriving practice. You're fucking killing it.
1: Thank you. I'm killing it in every area, but dating, but I'm trying to that's next. I'm trying to have hope that it will happen when it happens.
0: Yes. 28. You're still a baby. I'm sorry. You're still a baby. And that's there's plenty of time, does,
1: mm-hmm. but I want like five babies. I understand. So I think the only reason that I like get really caught up is because of that. Yes. It's, like the, five, I mean, it's also because I think I'm like bad and no one's ever going to want to date me. Like there's <laughs> definitely that. And I look at other people and I'm like, what's right with you? That's like wrong with me. Yeah. But also it's just like, if I had it my way, I would be pregnant right now.
0: I understand. So I
1: get really scared that like, it's not going to like happen in the timeline that I want kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And like, that's like the ultimate, like it's out of my control. You know, like I just, I hate the dating apps and like, yeah, I can swipe. Sure. I guess that's in my control. But like, even then it's a dumpster fire on the apps,
0: you know? Dating is so hard. I really, really, I was in a similar place around my late 20s, early 30s until I met my partner where I was just like, I want to have a family. Like I want a real partner. And I was like obsessed. Like I really, it became like, I was kind of like fertility stuff became an obsession.
1: I'm fucking upset. Like Mm -hmm. luckily I've like calmed down. I think Prozac is like doing its thing. Mm -hmm. But like I have been to the gyno to check to see like how fertile I am, like. I like, I get so triggered when I see other people enter relationships because then I start like spiraling about like, am I not going to, what does it mean about me? Everything. I'm like, should I go sit at a coffee shop for an hour? Because maybe (laughs) if I sit there, then I'm going to meet someone. And if I don't, then I'm just like sitting inside and it's never going to happen for me. And it's like every decision I make becomes like, will I meet a partner?
0: Oh my God. It's like,
1: it truly feels like an obsession.
0: Oh my God. Allegra. I really, really, really relate to that. I was just like that literally at your age
1: <laughs> that makes me feel so much better because I feel like sometimes people just don't get it like like my therapist validates the shit out of me and I know mm-hmm. she's like it has an OCD like but I think for other people who have partners it's just like oh it'll happen and I'm like no you don't get it yeah it's like I bought the myth of the or I think it's not the myth of the one it was calling in the one oh that shit fucking terrified me it's like a book about like how to like find the one oh my that god like I have done, I went to speed dating. Like I swear to God, I am like obsessed. And it's like, I just need to fucking sit the fuck down. I need to stop.
0: Okay. Yes. It is paralyzing and consuming. And it's similar to what we were talking about earlier with like the way that uh, intrusive thoughts and anxiety kind of like takes you out of your life and creates the opposite of what you want. Because I did the same shit. Like I was like upset. Like I was like, I'm going to get too old. My eggs are dying. Like I'm freaking out. And P.S. I carried my second baby at forty, and just so you know. But and if you ever want to like out, like if you ever want facts about that shit, I'm here to provide them for you I, if that will help. Yeah. <laughs> but but um, I used to like do the same thing you're talking about where I would be be like, you. I don't want to go to this show, but I need to go to the show because what if I meet my person there? And like, if you don't go, like, how are you ever going to meet a person? And that's your fault. But then. I would go to the show and I wouldn't even fucking enjoy the show because I would be like, my person isn't here. And then it's like, that was your night. And that does not make you feel good about yourself or confident or inspired by a show. And then you're not like being your full you who would attract a person, you know, it's like,
1: Oh my God. I am so grateful that like I have someone who relates to this. Like, how did you get out of it? How did you stop obsessing?
0: How did I stop obsessing? I feel like I really noticed at a certain point that I was doing that. And I was kind of like, just like actively trying to be like, when you go to the thing, like, You might be having those thoughts, but just try to like be at the thing, like just try to do the things you want to do. But I'm going to be very honest with you. I don't think I like really worked through it or stopped doing it. I think I just like kept doing it. And then I met my
1: partner. (laughs) So So iconic. (laughs) This
0: just happened. (laughs) Like, I don't think I like healed it. Like I just...
1: (laughs) Amazing. And how did you meet your partner? On
0: OkCupid.
1: Okay, everyone loves okay Cupid. Okay, I should but, be another guy.
0: but I don't know what it's like now because we met in 2014. So like there was no hinge. Neither. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. But whatever. I don't know. You really want kids. You want to like sometimes. I don't know that you need to heal everything to just like move forward. Like some things are just going to be like messy. And I think you can still so meet your partner. Kind of- yeah. Yeah. Well, also, I did a little bit of light witchcraft. Wait, <laughs> shut the fuck up! I need to. Do,
1: I'm like, I'm, I'm like, should I go to a psychic? Should I? <laughs> like, I'm dead you know, serious. I and they told me great news. Um, <laughs> I
0: don't believe it. Okay, Cupid, a la- a casual spell. I did do a little casual spell, and I can tell you the spell, but we should go in a couple minutes. But um, I will. I'll tell you the spell, but basically what I think the spell really accomplished is isolating for myself what I wanted and how I wanted to show up in a relationship and putting that out into the universe. I think like really like clarifying that for myself. And I think that probably helped me recognize Basil, my husband, when I met him, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't necessarily think the like universe brought me basil, but part of me does, kind of. But I think it's probably more the former. So either way, helpful.
1: Okay. I gotta do. I gotta do some witchcraft.
0: Yeah. I'm gonna tell you what it is, just really quick, in case any. I don't want to deprive the listeners of the spell, in case it they want helps this. anyone. I'll yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. So I'm gonna actually find the spell, and I will put it in the show notes. But the the premise of the spell was that you write out a list of what you are looking for in a partner in this life. And then, like I just said, you like write out a list of like everything that kind of encapsulates how you want to show up in a romantic partnership. And then from what I remember, you roll up the list. I think you put it in a loaf of round bread. This is where it gets wild. You put the list in a loaf of round bread. I think you then cover the thing with like a penny and then a candle (laughs) and you burn it um and then you throw the remains into the ocean <laughs> and i think there was some shit you said while you threw the bread
1: i will be at car rockaway this weekend with my with my remaining bread
0: <laughs> i also know someone else who met their partner after doing this spell
1: okay i am so I don't. all of my clients are gonna be like you told me not to believe in that and i'm like at the beach like throwing it
0: throwing your loaf of bread
1: <laughs> they're like i thought we didn't believe in magical thinking i'm like shut the fuck up
0: <laughs> oh my god highly recommend yeah <laughs> <sighs> allegra it's so nice to chat with you i feel like we could chat forever
1: I love this so much. Like favorite podcast. Oh this
0: amazing. Such a, some, one of my favorite conversations, for sure, on this podcast. Is there anything that we talked about that made you have a little bit of like a meta shame spiral in the moment or that you think could later if you're debriefing it?
1: Oh, I think definitely like the hospitalization. Yeah. <laughs> like how dark did that
0: sound? <laughs> I think so many people relate. So many people okay. have been hospitalized. Okay. It's not even that dark.
1: Okay, Mm-mm. that. And then probably like when I was like, I don't care, cancel me. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's not really. You know, but like, I'm like, do I feel a little bit of shame about that?
0: I feel a little shame about that whole know, moment too. I'm like, mm, I'm I don't like, know. I, think
1: I, feel, I feel shame because I'm going to get shamed. <laughs> what's happening. Me too.
0: It's preemptive shame.
1: Yes, that's exactly right. I'm like, it. could I get shamed? <laughs> yes
0: yeah and how do you how do you feel right now as we're wrapping up great
1: <laughs> like that was I feel we need hope I'm gonna buy some bread I'm
0: just I, I swear to god I really am gonna find the spell I just have to contact like, <laughs> I have to reach out to this witch that I know <laughs> who gave it to me and because this was like 10 years ago now something like that but I know I can recover it for you I know I can
1: I'm so ready for this okay
0: cool all right. Bye. Yay! Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Shame Spiral. You can follow the pod at PodShameSpiral on Twitter and Instagram. And you can follow me at Ellie Kremendahl on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, where I'm regularly posting fun or especially juicy video clips from the episodes. If you're enjoying the pod, please rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps. And if you have any brilliant ideas for a shame game scenario, email me at shamespiralpod at gmail.com this episode was edited by teresa gaffney original music was by shadwick wild and cover art was by cassidy kolonik thank you again so much for listening and spiral on but not too much okay